You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Jonathan Majors is one of Hollywood's fastest rising stars with roles in Lovecraft Country, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and The Five Bloods. In this episode, he joins Washington Post Live to discuss how his performances have portrayed black masculinity, the role of culture and reckoning in race and history, and his latest projects. Let's listen. Good afternoon, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series on race in America. Uh, as my colleague Helena Andrews Dyer pointed out in the Post, our guest today is an actor who's, and this is a quote, quickly becoming the, that guy you can't stop seeing in, well, everything. I first saw him as the quirky Mont in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and he exploded on the scene as Atticus the intense action hero lead in the Golden Globe-nominated HBO series Lovecraft Country, where the horrors of Jim Crow are sometimes a lot scarier than the monsters they encounter. He was also in The Five Blood, Spike Lee's uh, epic film about black vets going back to Vietnam. Of course, I'm talking about the man that you see next to me on screen, Jonathan Majors. Jonathan, welcome to Washington Post Live. Oh, peace. Peace, my brother. A fellow Jonathan. What's up? <laughs> right. So you, you told my colleague Helena uh, about your role in Lovecraft Country. And you, you said this role presented to the world with dignity and honor and sincerity uh, uh, will, after the, um, I'm sorry, will alter the hero's narrative in general. We have taken something that is so iconically white and male and pushed the scope. How did, how did Tix, Atticus's uh, a character, push the scope? Wow. Um, I think of, I think of the heroes that we have, right? The way they are presented in cinema and even in, uh, fiction, uh, and non-fiction, you know, uh, these gentlemen, um, uh, we're talking about the male hero, uh, um, yeah. here, I mean, so, so there's a male hero and there's a female hero, uh, but we're speaking specifically about, um, the male heroes that, that I feel as Freeman joins the pantheon of. Um, but with that, you have this idea of like, oh, they're these strong men, they're macho, they're uh, some kind, in some, in some cases, uh, womanizers, in some cases, uh, these war heroes, in some cases, these huge intellects. Um, that's from Skywalker to uh, James Bond, to, you know, all these, all these fellas, you know. Um, what we have in Atticus is we have a mixture um a, a soul um that is like the cornucopia of all of those things and then on top of that he's black on top of that he's young um on top of that he's um about his family's business um that is something i believe uh, i've not read before nor have i seen it before um and that was the gift that lovecraft country and specifically the world of Atticus presented um that i tried to embody to the best of my well, you know what, let's keep on. I was going to ask this question later, but given the answer you just gave, I'm going to move this question up. And so the overall question about black masculinity, I mean, you've said you see in your roles in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I, that's the first time I saw you, which I absolutely loved for reasons we'll get into, Lovecraft Country, The Five Bloods, they're part of a, a trilogy of, on black masculinity. What do you want viewers to take away? 
you know, it's interesting, right? Because I think of the word, th the, the number three, right? And the thing about the number three is that we think, oh, that number symbolizes uh, perfection, right? Um, there's always a trilogy, etc. Um, and that is how things are presented, right? What, what I feel I was trying to accomplish um, in my journey with those particular roles, and those roles all kind of came at a certain time. They all shared uh, the same journal, actually. Um, and what was happening in that moment is like, okay, we have the opportunity here to give uh, the number four, right? Which to me, um, and in numerology, is a number of completion, right? And so with that, we get a complete picture, a complete uh, mosaic of what it is to be, um, at, at least in this iteration, and for that time, in those years in which those films uh, came into the world, a time to show here is Black masculinity, um, to the, you know, I try my best, you know, uh, mm -hmm. incompletion, incompletion, right? What does that mean? We have the strength of the culture. We have the vulnerability of the culture. We have the complexity of the culture. We have the intellect of the culture. Now, listen, one man and one one man cannot do that, right? Not one artist. Not one artist cannot take on an entire feat. However, in my journey, in my walk through what I was getting to explore in that was that idea. And that was my uh, mission and objective in, in portraying those films. You know, in particular uh, about The Last Black Man in San Francisco, one of the things that made it a standout for me, aside from, from your performance and, and the storyline, it was the fact that for the first time on camera, at least for me, I saw black male vulnerability, black men being able, crying on screen, being emotional, um, you know, embracing each other, comforting each other. And for yeah. the first time, I felt like I was seeing the, you know, seeing me and my life and who I am in, in 3D as mm. opposed to two-dimensional or a caricature of who Hollywood says I am that I can't even I can't even relate to. It, when you go when you bring when you take these roles, is it do you find that you either push push back against maybe portraying the character in a two-dimensional way? Or are these roles written with the complexity of what it means to be specifically a black male? in America, since all of these, these characters we're talking about are, are black men in America? Hmm. Um, where do I start? I'll break it down like this. To me, my job as a actor, my job as an artist is to always tell the truth. And I think it is a mixture of a few things. I think on the page, Literally, and we have to understand on the page. I used to, we used to do this exercise in drama school where uh, Laura Henry, uh, who was my one of my beautiful acting teachers, would say to us when we would watch cinema. Uh, as you're watching the movie, think about the writing that's that they're saying, right? To be or not to be. Okay, that is literally T O B etc. Right? 
There is nothing there. There is nothing there. That is just the language. That is just, the, as we would say, the sound of the moment. It is then our job as the actors to go, okay, well, how do we make this sound pertinent, relevant, and truthful? And so for me, I did have the benefit of having a great writer and people who allowed me to embrace that language and to push that language forward. But there's so much responsibility on the actor, on the artist to add in behavior, right? I can say in all of those pieces, there is no line that says, and if it was, I probably marked it out, you know, uh, character laughs here, character cries here, they embrace. None of that was on the page. All mm. of that comes from the written word inspiring behavior, right? And so one of the things that makes that makes things a little, little wild is that I, I, I don't watch too much cinema. You know, when they say it's hot, I'll, I'll check it out. If it's a contemporary of mine, I like to know what's going on, but I, I try very much to just look outside and go, okay, what is it that I've experienced? What is it that I see my brothers experiencing? And, this, and, the, and the cheat sheet for me is, I'm always trying to tell the secret. So when you watch um, Last Black Man of San Francisco based off your evaluation just now, I would say that is, irregardless of how one feels about the film, but if you feel, oh man, Montgomery Allen and Jimmy Fails represent or show, right, the secret, right, the secret of, of, of a culture, right? That's the beautiful thing about culture. There's all these, there's all these forms of decorum. There's all these, there's all these ways of thinking that, ways of behaving, ways of interacting with each other um, that we do not necessarily, they don't really ask you to do that in the job. It's not, it's not, not mandatory, you know? Um, People make, it's not mandatory, but for me, it's kind of the only way I know how to get after it. Um, something that really uh, excites me about it. You, you know, speaking of, you know, you use the word uh, culture, and I'm just wondering, uh, to bring it back to Lovecraft Country, what role does and, and should entertainment play in, in the conversation about race and history? Because you know, as I said in the intro, and for those who haven't watched Love Lovecraft Country, I was having trouble saying it. Lovecraft um, Country. Lovecraft Country. Love Lovecraft Country. <laughs> yeah, it's now it's now a vocal exercise. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we thank you, thank you for that 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 free vocal that free vocal lesson. But you know, the the thing about the Lovecraft Country is that yeah. it is set in Jim Crow America, and the scenes from Jim Crow America they are. I'm gonna be very honest with you, Jonathan. I had to stop watching the series because yeah. the Jim Crow stuff was so, it was so scary and frightening. And also I was watching it at the tail end of the last administration. So that also played a part of it. But I'm just wondering, you know, what, what role should entertainment play in the conversation over race and history? If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, play entertainment and art together. That's cool. Ah, okay. Sure. Um, because I'm gonna go to my uh, I'm gonna go to go to one of the gods to for my springboard there. August Wilson um said uh, multiple times that um art should not be political but art is inherently political. Right? It is inherent that it's political. We're dealing with the people, right? Um, uh, the populace, right? The populace 
the the cultures and the ideas of the populace equals the politics of of a state, of a nation, of a city state, etc., of a of a of a restaurant, whatever. Um, so there is no avoiding it. There is no avoiding it. You and I speaking together right now. We have two black men of two different generations. I'm not sure where you're from, but I'm but I'm certain it's not from where I'm from. But we are in a conversation, right? So anybody watching this can take a side and go young, mature, southern. I mean, again, I don't know where you're from, right? But New Jersey. Of, New Jersey, yeah, you're Yankee, right? New Jersey, right? Like like <laughs> that type of that that is politics. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Um yeah, there's no way around it. So fulfilling the art form, right? Doing, doing the, doing, doing your job, you know, do the damn job. Doing the, excuse me, uh, but doing the job, right? Incites that type of, um, that type of uh, political talk, that type of um, um, thinking. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Now there are artists who aim. There is political art. And that's a different thing. You, you know, Lovecraft Country landed right like smack in the middle of our yet another national conversation on race, but this time more fraught because of the murder of George Floyd. And I'm wondering, did that bring into focus for you the significance of what you were doing in Lovecraft Country? Absolutely. I remember, I mean, when they all went down, when it all when it all, when it was all revealed, rather, um, and our brother George Floyd became the incident that triggered the the flood of all of this. Um, both Lovecraft Country and the Five Bloods they were right on the brink. I don't remember who was out first or what was going on when, but I was going. We all were, um, and I saw Lovecraft as a a participant in the conflict and the rebellion in the in the uh, in the protest i saw it as a piece of art which is as we said inherently political uh it was an ally art can be an ally and i found it to be that and there are multiple times when i thought of hmm George Floyd's story, George Floyd's legacy, who George Floyd was and is, what he's left with us. He's a hero. And it's so interesting we're looking at George Floyd, who is a large African American male, and he was being villainized by these police officers and also paid the ultimate price. And then you have an atticus, right? You're a hero. Right, who literally we could be from the same place. We could be blood relatives, you know, if you took the men out of contact. Mm -hmm. You see that happen. It was quite moving for me, um, as a citizen, to know that I, I participated in something that was out in the world at that exact time. That people were marching on the streets and going home and watching Lovecraft. I mean, that was just one of the most uh, surreal. Uh, moments of my of my life period. You know, you said last year. Hopefully, when we get done with 2020, 
will see clearly as a society. And so now that we are past one year after the murder of George Floyd, but also a hundred years after the Tulsa race massacre, um, are we seeing more, more clearly and are we doing enough in response, do you think? I would say, I would say as a whole, um, more of us are seeing, right? All of a sudden, so many of us were looking this way and they go, oh, wait, there's the problem there. There are more people looking at the issue, looking at taking it by the horns, as it were. Um, I do believe that we have progressed um, as a culture, as a country. Um, I do know that we have a long way to go, a long way to go. And that, and that's, that is going to be a continuous struggle, a continuous conversation, a continuous debate amongst human beings, uh, specifically in our country, um, amongst Americans, you know, uh, therefore amongst any, any, any marginalized group that, that, I mean, that's a long road to hope, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's a lot of work to be done there. But I will say we have, we have enlisted, right? We as a country, we as a people, we as a species have enlisted more people to participate in this direction to move in this direction i think this new administration i think the work that is being made i think the work that is being talked about that's being cultivated that's being lifted i think that is a sign that we are no longer just in vogue as uh as a, as a marginalized culture uh, that black folks uh, we're not just in vogue we are we are being seen and promoted in a certain way and so there is a slight shift of responsibility um which is good um, which is really good, but but I still I still have more work to do. You Johnson still have more work to do. Our families and friends and the children we raise still have a lot of work to do. Our administration has a lot more work to do. Um, but I think we now know that the work is there to be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your your wider journey. When you were younger, you'd been suspended in one school. You started to skip classes in another and had been caught yep. shoplifting. One of the people you met in juvenile detention taught theater arts. What did she tell you about acting that excited you? She didn't tell me anything about acting, but what she did allow me to do and what she did promote and what she did make space for me to do was to express Miss um, LJ. Um, uh, and just for the narrative, I had, I had, I had I was back in the school system. Okay. Uh, it was like first week back in the school system. Um, and she allowed me to express all of that. Um, it's caged. There's a, there's a cage for me. There was a, and it is, you know, there is a caged mentality that makes you want to revolt, that makes you want to um, um, fight, that makes you want to do whatever you can to be seen and to be heard by any means necessary, damn the consequences, mm -hmm. right? That's just, a, that was just my psychology at the time. And it was so deep that it wasn't, there was no malice, you know? I mean, it's funny, my mother's spirit, my mother's with us, but my mother's spirit is with me this entire morning. Like, there was never any malice, and I knew that coming from me, and my mother knew that. And what she did was she allowed me to slowly it's like the, it's like the water hose on my on my expression had been pinched, and she allowed it to come out. And so when it first comes out, it it hits hard. You know, it's physics. Boom! 
And then after that, there's a certain amount of flow, a certain amount of, and then and then to go with the metaphor, that water coming out, that that experience coming out is no longer um, hurtful. It can actually water. It can actually not push the soil out of the way, but lay on top of the soil, you know, and allow something to mm -hmm. grow. Um, and here we are today. Right. Well, in, in fact, I believe it was in that interview with, with, with Helena where you said, I began to find out things about myself emotionally, like where my tears come from and the fact that I had a great deal of empathy that began to open up my emotional drain. Um, you said acting showed you how to live. How so? Mm. <laughs> like, I was like, mm, I said that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because because once once you... I believe it's Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning, right? That book that, 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 that talks about um, uh, prisoners in the Holocaust camps. Um, and once, you, once someone has a reason, right, um, um, to live, once they know how to do it, right, that, is, that, was, that was the lifeblood spirit. And so for me, acting said, oh, 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 oh. This is how you behave. This is how I, this is without parenting. This is how I want to behave, right? This is, this is how I want to be. This is how I want to move through the world. And how is that? Now, I don't succeed with this all the time, but it is with empathy. It is with understanding. It is with patience. Why? Because when I am in that place, right, with that calm, when I am in that place, I am then with, I am then in communion uh, with my fellow brothers and sisters, you know, and then therefore I can then their stories. I can then understand their stories in a way that allows us to move everything forward as a group. And so, yeah, you think twice when you're losing your temper or you go, oh, I'm losing my temper because of this. And so it became this whole kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's, 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 um, it's the best therapy one can have, you know, to really lean into what it is to, again, there's different schools of, of thinking. And, and at 31 years old now, I, I'm kind of just now in the place where I say, no, I have my own approach to the work. Mm -hmm. um, I have my own, uh, I've been a citizen long enough, no longer under the, under the protection of an institution. Um, I have a, I have a, I'm rearing a child myself, you know, like I now, I now have a way that I want to move world and acting um gave me the it, it's the manual it's the blueprint mm -hmm. you know in order to do what i do the way i like to do it this is how i must behave. this is how i must uh govern myself mm -hmm. you know the, june is pride month lgbtq pride month and and from what i understand during your last semester at yale you were cast in the in the lgbt miniseries when we rise why did that role mean so much to you Oh, my brother. Um, it means even more now. I just want, mm. I just have to say that. Um, I played a fella named uh, Ken Jones. And uh, Ken Jones uh, is no longer with me. Um, he uh, transitioned about eight. Not more, not even, less than a year now, actually. Um, in that experience, in that role, and the journey of that, 
means so much to me. One because I was uh, I was currently in I was at I was at the Yale School of Drama. I was in my final semester, and I auditioned and I and I, and I won the role. And that in and of itself was such a for me because um, I had started graduate school with a with a three month old uh, yeah with a three month old uh, kid. And here we were now, and she was nearly four, and and I and I had I had been practicing my craft, and literally, you know, this is more the meta of it. I don't know what you're asking, but it's all connected, you know. Um, and, and doing what I had to do to you know to do, you know, to behave properly, you know, and and support the best I could. Um, and then the role came, and I was surrounded by angels, chiefly um, Ken Jones. Um, but there was uh, Dustin Lance Black who uh, wrote it. There was Dustin Zant who was directing it. Uh, Owen who was producing it. And I was literally taken from, invited and taken from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, Vancouver. And it was a complete, a complete war win. And, and the only thing I had was what I had actually learned and what, what stuck, right? So, so I only had who I was technically spiritually etc um and it changed my it literally changed my life i mean for the first role that one plays to be um a very uh to be one of the leads in the show um uh, uh to be telling the story of a man who lived um and lived boldly and great um yeah it was i mean it was yeah, and it just and it just be, it just opened up the floodgates even more, uh, my brother, for um, for everything to flow. Um, yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds as though each character you play, no matter when you've played them, you you allow them to occupy space in you, and then after you move on to the to the next to the next film the next piece of art, the next play, bits and pieces of those characters stay with you. If not being a part of your acting, at least a part of, of you, of, yes, of who you are, of your soul. It's as if you, you learn from them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, that to me, the, you know, the fear is always like, if you listen to narratives, you know, someone says, oh, you know, well, you, you should only do you know, one film a year. Oh, you don't want to go that deep. Oh, you want to, you know, there's all these, there's all these, there's all this taboo stuff, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, that I feel handicaps, um, that can handicap the artist, right? That can hand, like, oh, don't, 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 no, do, 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 but it's how you do it. And for me, I go, well, my experience is, is as such that the role picks you. And if the role chooses you, you have to surrender to that, right? They, they give you all the bells and whistles to make you comfortable, to make you feel good, to, you know, make you feel pretty and all this shit, you know what I mean? All this mm -hmm. stuff, you know what I mean? Like, they do all that, they do all that, and and, and that's fine, you know, I kind of, you know, kind of push it. As, it's just not, it's not primary for me because what's primary is the internal growth that each character gives because each character is going through their own struggle. I mean, that is the best type of advice one can get right? I'm going to experience the hardship and the 
the wins and the losses of another human being. And to really go through that, to really experience that, I'm going to learn from that. My nervous system, I mean, one of the things they say in acting, your, your, your brain does not know the difference. Your body does not know the difference. You know what's going on so when you go into those places you always come out you're right you always come out <laughs> you know um that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. and then the instrument is changed right it's as if you're a piano and you have all these different musicians come to play on it right you want that you want to be played in that way um it helps so- yeah it helps i don't know all right. So you you said <laughs> you said a key phrase in that in, in your response. The role picks you. So that leads me to a story um, that was reported in Deadline um, on on June second. I'm just going to read it to you. Michael B. Jordan is looking to up the ante in his di- directorial debut for Creed three, and his next opponent appears to be none other than rising superstar Jonathan Majors. Is that true? Are you going to be in Creed 3? It's so deep. I, I, I didn't talk to my publishers. I don't know how they just... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, if all goes according to plan, it should work out. Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I mean, we'll deal with it. We'll, I'll deal with the fallout of some crazy happens from that. But yeah, I was never told not to speak on it. well (laughs) well i am glad i I am glad that it it appears it appears as though we we have um uh you not we you have made some news on this creed 3 issue jonathan majors uh as always whenever i do these washington post lives i go overtime and we are overtime so i just i just want to thank you very much for spending time with us here and for coming on Washington Post Live. Could, could I say one thing? Sure, could absolutely. I, just real quick. Um, yeah. The beauty of the beauty of the potential of the of the Creed thing is very much what we're doing now. The support of it, right? That that here you are supporting me doing this. Here I am supporting you doing this. And what we will potentially do, right, is something we've not seen before in many ways. I mean, we have our brother Daniel. And, and Lakeith do it, which is a great example of supporting one another in the art and pushing things forward together um, with one plus one is three. And so if anyone watches this, like, please, please, please just support your fellow artist, support your fellow man. And um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and that, and that, is, that is a great message to end on. Jonathan Majors acting super, superstar. It is there, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Superstar. Jonathan Majors, thanks so much again for coming to Washington Post Live. And as always, thank you for joining us and hanging hanging in there as we went over. Come back at 3 p.m. Eastern today when my colleague David Ignatius um, will sit down in conversation with Peter Marr, president of the International Committee of the Red Cross, about the humanitarian crises posed by COVID-19 and armed conflicts around the world. Once again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for tuning in to Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.